and welcome to the big topic in women's MMA. Frank Posner along with Shawan Humes. Don't forget to check out my blog at frankp316.blogspot.com. Post all the fights up there along with uh, this podcast. So, Shawan, are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay. We had one fight on last week's uh, UFC show. It was Casey O'Neill beat Roxanne Modafferi. By, an, by split decision. Should have been unanimous decision. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but the fight went about what I expected. Uh, it was uh, Roxanne's retirement fight. And we'll talk about it, uh, her in a minute. Uh, but it went pretty much as I expected. Uh, you know, the split decision thing was because there was a judge on this fight who probably wasn't qualified to be a judge. His name is Robert Alexander. This down to Texas, they the commission gives them some you know, people who probably aren't qualified to judge fights. The um, Aaron Bronster, TSN, posted this guy's um, bio on Twitter, and apparently he's an aerospace engineer. He's on the commission's appeals commission, so he's not a judge. And he was on he judged four fights on the prelims, and he screwed. <laughs> but it was you know Casey still won. Uh, I think she would have got a finish out of it if she had mixed in some body shots. I'm sure that's something that she can work on with her coach, Eric Nixick. Yeah, um, it, it kind of went the way I thought it would. Not really. I expected her to be a little bit sharper on the feet to uh, throw body head combinations. And well, she, went head, she, she went head hunting. Like, well, all these fighters... That's what well, they, yeah, that, they, they got to be, they, you know, they got to have their attitude adjustment. Yeah, she she was going in head hunting. Um, she was just trying to overwhelm Roxy. It wasn't like very methodical. She wasn't changing levels and like high jab, low to the body, head head body head combinations. She wasn't really chipping away with her. It's like she was just trying to throw big shots to get her out of there and like put a stamp on the fight. And as a result. Uh, she got hit a little bit more than I would have liked to see her get hit, because like I said, against Roxy and certain girls, it, it won't it won't be a price to pay for. Not really, but against a better class of fighter, uh, that's that's going to be a huge problem. So yeah. I, I thought she, I thought she was athletic. I thought yes. she hit hard. I thought she was smart, but she wasn't as smart or defensively aware as I would have liked to see her at this point. It's something she has to fix, but I don't think it's that big a deal. You no, know, I mean, I know because I said she needs to take time off, and I know we both know that's not possible. But in her in her post fight discussion, she said the same thing. She was, "I'd like to look at this film since it went the full time, so I can really make an assessment, and I need to take some time off to to clean some things up." So I don't personally think I'm insulting her by saying this, but I, I think it's it's obvious to her what she's doing now. She'll still be able to beat a lot of girls. She might even be competitive with the best girls. But some of these habits and tendencies you have are, are going to get her beat. And you'd rather start addressing these issues now before you have to take a loss and take two or three steps back. And depending on who you're fighting, it might be four or five steps back but, and then address them. You might as well address them now. And it, it's good that she's aware that her defense was not up to par because Rosie, excuse me, Roxy is not a high level striker. She's a timing striker. She's an awkward striker. She's a fairly volume striker. But I've never seen her touch somebody as much as, she's, as she touched. Casey O'Neill, nobody with that kind of athleticism and power. And to be quite honest, I've never seen Roxy kind of take shots from somebody who's a much better athlete who hits that much harder and have them do that well. Usually they get tired, but 
O'Neill wasn't tired and she she still wasn't she wasn't doing the damage I would have liked to see her do given her athletic advantages. And of course, uh, what about the judge that screwed up? Yeah, I mean, I I guess ultimately it's it's a bad look. I'm not really big on putting people's stuff out there. I wish the UFC would make a better decision because now you put this person in a position where they can be exposed and they can be, you know, criticized or harassed. If they're not qualified for it, they're not qualified for it. Um, it's weird to me because the UFC has this habit of like they def- they try to act like they don't have any say in things. And they they either need to fix that or they need to take some kind of different approach because it kind of undercuts their products for one. And two, it kind of puts a lot of onus on these judges who who may or may not be prepared to deal with it because that's not their area of expertise. Yeah, it, it this always happens when they go down to Texas. Uh, that this has all happened before. Well, one thing one thing I have to say is, yeah, he's an aeronautics engineer, so we can say that he wasn't qualified, but. I'm not a professional judge. I could have called that fight correctly. I mean, I, I could have, I could have called that fight correctly. So yeah, his, he, he screwed his, up the Arlovsky fight too. Oh yeah, he did definitely. But my, my only point is, just because you're not your background doesn't mean you can't call a fight. There's judges who have been judging for 10, 20 years and they get bad calls. I think I, I think personally, I, I could judge fights better than a lot of judges, and I, I'm not a professional judge. I just know what to look for because I work with fighters. And I think a lot of fans could actually be better judges. <laughs> they just don't want to take the time and effort to do it. So the fans can't complain because if you really think you could do better, go out there, take the classes, and do better. It's not good enough to just point out the problem. We know what the problem is. What are you doing to address the problem? Well, I'm not that into it. Well, then shut up. You can only complain to a certain point. Okay, so uh, this was Roxanne's retirement fight. So I want to talk a little bit about her minus the fanboy bullshit that usually comes with her. The fans are so enamored with her is because of the whole happy warrior thing, right? And mm-hmm. Did you hear the booing when they announced the decision, by the way? Yeah, I mean... One, she's American. Two, she's got she's she's a great person, from what I understand. People she like the person. And three, one of the reasons she got the, there was a boo. Part of that is Casey O'Neill's fault because O'Neill fought a very I won't say smart fight. She didn't fight a very smart fight, and she allowed. I mean, if you would have told most people Roxy's going to stand and bang with her for almost the entirety of the fight, they would have said Roxy's getting knocked out. If O'Neill had done her job a little bit better, we don't even get yeah, to this point. I think. So too, but let's talk about Roxy's career objectively without this fanboy bullshit that seems to. There's a lot of romanticism involved in how fans feel about her, and it's because she's a nice person and all that stuff. But let's face facts: she's a mediocre fighter. For for most most of her career, she was a one. She's a great grappler who is it at best an average fighter. The the real the what what allowed her to make such a cult following is the fact that she was doing this sport when it wasn't really legal, when it was really hard to do, and there wasn't really any money in it. But ultimately what she is, if, you, if you're being objective, like you said, if you're being objective for the majority of her career, she's like a, a Diego Sanchez type, not as successful maybe, or a Forrest Griffin. She's a type who the sport really passed her by. When she first came in, you could be a average, below average athlete and still get wins and still get ranked. Well, first of all, first, first of all, fans may not be aware of the recent fans may not be aware of this, but she spent ten years in Japan. Okay, yeah. she she went to Japan when she was in college, and she decided to stay there 
train. Uh, she was a teammate of Takayo Hashi for quite a while. And then mm-hmm. she also trained with, um, with uh, Megumi Fuji at AACC. And, um, you know, uh, um, her probably her biggest, uh, her highest achievement was when she won a tournament in 2005. This was a one-shot tournament. She beat uh, Marlus Kunin in the finals, believe it or not. Yeah, that and, well, the funny part of it is the guy. This was supposed to be a new company. It was uh, being. It was uh, run by guys who had been working for K for K, the K One Kickboxing Company, right? Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is the company never happened. None of the fighters got paid, including Roxanne, and so it was it was a dead end, right? Yeah. And um, she uh, fought for Smack Girl. She fought for Valkyrie. Like, uh, she fought for Jules. She came to the U.S. She fought. For, remember, she had a title shot against Sarah Kaufman, and she got knocked out by a power bomb. Yeah. Okay. That was that too. Now, one of the things that happened with Roxanne is at one point in her career, she decided she didn't want to punch anybody. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can. Given her personality, yes, I can. And she did do that for a couple of years. She went on a really bad losing streak. She did that. But then in 2013, she decided to move to the U.S. And she ended up at Syndicate MMA in Las Vegas with John Wood. And basically, John talked her into punching again. He said to her, as I said, if you're going to keep doing that, you might as well stop and quit and retire because you can't do that. And so he really was responsible for reviving her career. Okay. Because he talked to her again. She wouldn't, she wouldn't back in 2010, she would not have tried to punch Casey O'Neill. She would have got killed. Okay. So she, so she came back. She was in Invicta. She was in Tough 18, but UFC did not hire her at the time. But then later she came back for Tough 26, and they did hire her at that time. And, I mean, she had mixed results at best. Well, the, okay, the thing about UFC. it is, for the majority of her care, like I said, she was, an, she was a very good grappler, a very good representative of the sport, and a fairly average fighter. She's like a 500 fighter. Mm-hmm. When she went to John Wood, she was able to reshape herself, and for a brief period of time – she was more or less elite. She was beating girls who the previous beat her. She was winning, winning fairly dominant decisions or being submission, and she got to a title fight. Once she got, once she got to that peak, she started falling back to the median, which was win some, lose some, win some, lose some, win some, lose some. So she, in theory, she's not a greatest fighter. She didn't have a great deal of accomplishments, but a lot of her credit comes for her. She represented the sport very well, and the sport mm-hmm. wasn't. And she and it's like anything else, like mu- music or movies. The first person who made a movie might not have been the greatest movie, but if they never make that movie, we never get the masterpieces. So you ha- so people who like Ronda Rousey, like Misha Tate, Cyborg, and Roxy Modafari never really fights. We don't know if it ever gets to this point. All those originators who did it when there wasn't money and fame in it, they're owed a debt of gratitude by the people who, who are really benefiting the most from their labor. Like you said, she wasn't even paid. Ronda Rousey never got was always getting paid all these other girls always get paid and part of that happened because people like rock well, kept when, when she Go when ahead. she when she was in japan she was making a living as an english teacher 
Yeah, that that, okay. that the fighting that, she did for fun, really. That's what adds to the cachet of it because she wasn't making a living on it and she was still doing it. And a lot of girls who became elite fighters, Roxy Modafari is on their on their resume, and that helped establish some of them as legitimate fighters or world class fighters because they had a girl who had so much experience and had been doing it at the beginning. So she helped a lot of fighters build their resumes. And she held the sport because she was always competing in it, even when it didn't benefit her at all. You got girls complaining. Some girls only made $30,000. She wouldn't make another. She had to have, She really had to have a job to compete. And she still did it. So she represents to the fans themselves because she did it for the love of competition and the love of the sport. And you don't see many fighters. Every fighter says they do it for free. I don't believe none of them now. I might believe Roxy Modafari. I think she really misses the competition. But I believe her when she says she did it for free because she already did. None of these That's girls right. are coming free that's right okay let's move on to saturday's show we've got two women's fights on the show the first one is a bantamweight it is jessica rose clark uh versus uh stephanie Edgar. okay so jessica rose clark is from australia but she trains these days in combat sports academy that's given that's in california She's had a four and two record in the UFC. Now she's fought at both flyweight and bantamweight, but she's had trouble making uh, flyweight, so she's fighting a bantamweight now. She's also had trouble cutting weight to flyweight, so that's one of the another reason she's at uh, bantamweight. Uh, Stephanie Egger is from Switzerland. Uh, she's one and one in the UFC, so uh, I don't see. Looking at who she's, beaten, I do not see. Jessica Rose Clark, or Jesse Jess, as we call her, uh, getting higher than mid-card. Okay, this other girl, we're not sure yet because she's only had two fights in the US, but uh, I, I I see her winning this fight. Eggers? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Um, I think Eggers is a better athlete. She's she's competed in black belt and judo. She's done judo competitions at a high, pretty high level. Jiu-jitsu at a pretty high level. I know she. Uh, I forgot that really big girl who grapples Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but she she drew with her. So she's clearly a superior grappler. What her issue is, she can hit fairly decently, but she's not fluid on the feet. Not offensively. She throws one shot at a time. She can't really put shots together. She doesn't really close or extend distance very well. And defensively, she has a really hard time getting out of the way of strikes. That's why when she fought Cortez, Cortez was able to get to spots and take her down so easily yeah. because because Eggers didn't have that's it. That's, it. that's, that's have, was, she was never going to beat. Well, yeah, but she, she was never going to beat. But she could have shown she could have given me something to build off because I have to go off what I've seen. I can't make assumptions. Yeah. She couldn't pivot out. She couldn't maintain distance. She couldn't double or triple up her jab she just got in a lot of bad spots because defensively she couldn't handle or dress or counter anything that that cortez was doing i think jesse jess is a better striker than cortez she's not as good an athlete may not hit as hard but she's a better all-around striker she's got better all-around footwork i think she should be able to pressure eggers and um and light her up on the feet maybe not really beat her up but outscore her and she should have good enough footwork where eggers is going to have a hard time getting in those tie-ups because like she likes those ties for those trips and those takedowns. Ronda Rousey was good at that because Ronda Rousey knew how to transition from grappling from the outside range into those tie-ups and throws. That was something she was very good at. I don't know that Eggers is good at that. And if she can't take angles to get in on her, she's just going to be running into strikes and getting turned and getting picked off. My concern for 
Clark is now she seems to think she's some kind of wrestler. And if she's just going to engage in grappling exchanges and try to tie um, Edgar's well, up. And- that's why I think that's why I think that's why I think Stephanie's going to win. Right. The other thing about, about Jesse Jess is this. She had a very serious foot injury a couple of years back, and I don't think she's really ever come back from that. Yeah, okay. I, I can I can see that logic, but I I put it like this. I, I, I put a lot of weight on experience. And most of the people Eggers has fought, with the exception of Cortez, have been people she's bowled over. So anytime she's had to work harder than doing basically the bare minimum as a fighter, she's not performed very well. So I, I it's hard for me to imagine that all of a sudden now if she faces resistance, that yeah. she's going to be top shelf. You see, I'm not saying that because of Stephanie. Particularly, I just don't think Jesse Jess is all that. Anyway, there, there, there is a legitimate argument for that either. Neither, neither one of these girls is particularly proven or shown that they're, they're close to world class. They, they're more. Jesse Jess had a, a moment in time where she was kind of moving towards the peak, but she was beating up more names than quality fighters. And they both have the, they both have potential, but I think both of them are getting fairly older at this point. And I don't know, I don't know how much further they could go in the next year or two or two or three years. I, I don't know if both of them will be in the sport in the next two or three years. Well, we'll see on Saturday. Uh, I, like I said, I see Stephanie winning. I just don't think Jesse Jesse is uh, all that good. That's fair. I, I, I'll, I'll probably say Jesse Jesse. I mean, given what you're saying, the injuries and the recoveries, I, I'd say it's a pretty safe bet. But I'm going to say Jesse Jesse's experience and her striking should should be able to get her a win over three to, a, a three-round decision. Okay, the other fight is at flyweight. It is Diana Belbita against, jeez, uh, I can't remember her name now. Gloria DePaula? Gloria DePaula, that's right. And uh, uh, Diana is uh, from Romania, regional house of champions in Stony Creek, Ontario. Swan, you know where Stony Creek, Ontario is? Is it close to you? It is. It's, it's on the other side of Hamilton which is okay. down the highway from Toronto. So another fighter, I guess, in the Peninsula or something like that. It's not quite the Peninsula. Uh, so she's gone, uh, I think, uh, one and three or one and two in the UFC. Actually, I think both of them have. Gloria DePaulo is from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, she and her girlfriend, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mayra Buenasilva. They've actually opened their own gym down there. Okay, hmm. but... Yeah, you know, I don't know who, who's training with them down there. But anyway, she's also gone one and two. So I, I'm not real impressed with either of these fighters, Schwan. Yeah, um, Belbita is probably the better striker, the more accomplished striker. What she seems to have an issue with is a, obviously the groundwork and transitioning between the different ranges on the feet to clinches to wrestling to grappling. DePaula is not as good a striker, but she's shown some grit. She's shown at least a decent awareness and, and depth of skill. You would think to Paul. What did you Hello? drop your? There you are. Are you there now? Yeah, yeah. I I would say DePaul is probably the better MMA fighter. That's that's not really saying a lot. But I would say she's the better MMA fighter. Schwan, um, Schwan, Schwan. Yes. Didn't she look awful in her last fight? Um, she did. I mean, to be, I mean, Belbita won her last fight, and she didn't look great either. I mean, that's that's the thing. There, 
they're both marginal talent. They're what their main value is. They are exciting enough that you can build other fighters off them. That's basically what people have done. You let Joja McCann get wins off of Belvita. You had Jin Yu Frey, and I, I forgot who else beat her before uh, before Frey. Somebody else beat her. Uh, Cheyenne Vilsimus. She beat her. Like she, you, looked you, she, she looked terrible in that fight. That was just awful. You can use them to build other fighters off, and now it's getting to the point, I think, where whoever wins this will be the person who gets to be have another person built off them, and whoever loses is probably going to be the person who goes home. I don't know that there's enough gap in skill to really say anybody's favorite. It's probably a 500 fight. Um, yeah, stays the so. Diana should win. If, if it becomes an MMA fight, the Paula should have enough to win. All right. Uh, like I said, it's, it's going to be a close fight. I don't really care who wins. Um, a couple other things I want to talk about. First of all, uh, um, Kayla Harrison uh, said in an interview last week or the other day or whatever it was that uh, there's been a snag in her contract talks with PFL. And she even said in this interview that she would consider jo- dropping to Bantam Week, but then she said afterwards that she wasn't going to do that. So honestly, Schwan, I don't see the UFC or Bellator paying the kind of money that she thinks she should get. And I just, I think she's going back to BFL anyway. I, I just don't well, see that. Yeah. I I, I, do you know what I see? I see a lot of these, these supposed uh, commentators and experts saying, oh, they should break the bank for her. She hasn't done enough to deserve well, they're they're thinking of it as fighters, and she's accomplishing judo, and she's accomplished these wins, but they're not looking at it objectively. One, she hasn't beaten a ranked fighter at all, none. She hasn't beaten any ranked fighters. And two, she hasn't really even faced any resistance. We don't know what she can do and what she can't do, to be quite honest. Um, the, the downside for her is because she can't make certain weights, and she won't go to certain weights because they don't pay her enough to, to risk her health. She doesn't have anything to leverage against the PFL. She goes to UFC, yeah. 45 is still would be hard for her. Bantamweight would be impossible. She goes to Bellator, 45 would be hard for her. So she doesn't really have a lot of options to go to. So she can't – she can say it hit a snag, but where else is she going to go? Who knows? I mean, the, the thing about it is this. It's been known for a long time that she cannot drop to 135 for health reasons. So it, seems a, little, it seems a little desperate that she even mentions it. When you don't, when you don't have any options, what's the? How are you? How are you supposed to get a raise, or how are you supposed to get the pay you want if you don't have any? If you're at a job that pays you this much and you have no other skills, and not only that, you don't want to work for less than what you get paid at this job. Your job doesn't have to give you a raise. We already pay you more than everybody. Where else are you going to go? It's either that or retire. And if they were, and if she retires, that's not going to affect them that much because she's not a draw either. So, yeah. I, I just don't see her leaving PFL anyway. She she can, but there's nowhere else for her to go. She has no cards to play, and nobody's gonna because she's not. Ronda Rousey was a star; they'd make adjustments for her. Cyborg was a big enough star; you make adjustments for her. But Kayla Harrison isn't a big enough star; you don't make adjustments for her. There's no reason to. She doesn't bring in the money. All right. The other thing is that Bellator announced that Kat Zingano is going to face Pam Sorensen. Mm-hmm. I thought we supposed to. Get, she's supposed to get a title shot against Cyborg. I read an article where she said that there was she went testing or something in Cyborg. That's what I that. heard too. I heard the same thing. I hear that there may be some issues with Chris Cyborg's drug tests. 
Yeah, I, and I, I guess that's a, a, a that's a, a fairly good reason not to. But ultimately, the biggest money is going to be fighting Cyborg. Um, ultimately, I, there's two ways you can look at it. One, she's being a stand-up fighter as far as protecting fighters and standing up for rights and calling out Cyborg on her questionable history. Two, she could be trying to maneuver because if something comes up where Cyborg, you know, is disqualified or can't fight for some reason, then maybe she can get some kind of interim title fight or Cyborg's got to drop it, and then she can become a Bellator champion without having to fight Cyborg. And then when Cyborg comes back, now she's she's in the A side and she can make more money doing that. That's my that's my read on it, honestly. Did you didn't you find it interesting that when people were reporting on this, that they did not mention the question that that there were some questions about uh, Cyborg's drug testing? Uh, yeah, that it is very odd that nobody's brought that brought that to their attention. Um, it's kind of unprofessional. We just did. We just yeah. did. But it's interesting how we commented on it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a cyborg fan too, but you got to call it as it is. She does have a history that says that you should have some concerns as a fighter. Now, I will say this: given Katzengano's standing and some of some of the idiosyncrasies of her of her as a fighter in and out of the cage, you know, it's a risky bet because I mean, that's the money fight. But you know, she's got to stand for what she's got to stand for, and she's got to cover her own her own well being because Bellator surely isn't going to do it. I don't think this backfires. I don't. I don't think this backfires on her. But ultimately, I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know that she beats a cyborg one way or another. To be honest, yeah, neither do I. This damn uh, Anything yeah. else you want to talk about, Sean? Uh, only thing I want to say is this: once again, the reason we see so much suspect talent or fighters in women's mixed martial arts is because there's a dearth of talent. There's a dearth of fighters. If you're a woman who wants to fight in the UFC or Bellator, you have a much better chance if you're even decent than any male in your gym because they're constantly having girls fall out or whatever issues pulled out, can't fight, or they just, they just can't find enough, enough women. So until it gets to a point of some kind of some kind of quality quality control, we're going to see varying degrees of skill and talent in women's mar- mixed martial arts because they haven't got a solid base of women who will continually pour into the sport like they do for men. So unfortunately, you're not going to see a lot of high-quality mixed martial arts from women consistently across the board, show after show after show, fight after fight after fight. It's, it's going to take time. It's probably going to take more money. And even then, it's going to be iffy. But if you're a fighter, take your craft seriously as a woman because, one, there's going to be multiple opportunities. And two, the level of skill is so shaky that if you're a decent fighter, you can get to a title fight very quickly. There's not a lot of decent girls in women's mixed martial arts. You can easily navigate yourself to a title fight. Lauren Murphy did. And Lauren Murphy's not a bad fighter, but she surely is not a great one. Yeah, well, that's about it for today. Uh, like I said, if you have any, uh, uh, don't forget to check out my blog at frankp316.blogspot.com. If you have any questions or comments for my blog or my podcast, leave them on Anchor's voicemail. If you'd like to subscribe to my podcast, you do so at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Enjoy the fights. We'll talk to you later.